Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be, as a little child. Let's begin today in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, beginning in the 13th verse, it says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up into his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Verse 15 told us, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. This is an interesting verse. The second half of verse 14 in a similar way told us, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. To the natural mind, these seem to be strange verses. Why would Jesus tell us to be like children? The natural man has a hard time understanding this. It seems to be so counterintuitive. So the natural man resists a command like this. But in doing so, he only holds himself back. This is undoubtedly a unique command. So we have to ask ourselves, what exactly is Jesus saying here? And what exactly does this teaching here mean for us today? The first thing we have to note about this is that he's telling us to be like children not to be children. There's a big difference between those. Confusing those two will lead us to perpetually stay in a state of spiritual ignorance and immaturity. It will lead us to lack understanding and depth in our walk with God. In the natural, we find people who are beholden to perpetual adolescence, the idea of the refusal to grow up and come to terms with adulthood. And that's a problem for obvious reasons, but it's infinitely more of a problem and more detrimental when we carry that same problem over into the spiritual side. If we refuse to grow in God, if we refuse to mature and come to terms with what the Christian life entails in its entirety, we do a lot of harm to ourselves and to our faith. We force our spirit to remain stagnant, never growing closer to God and the things of God, while our spirit is inwardly desiring to reach out for more. That's not what we're called to do, and that's not what being like a child calls for. This doesn't mean that we act like children and speak like them. This is calling for something entirely different. But many people get caught in this trap of being children in faith instead of being like children. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I fought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. The skeptic may look at a verse like this and think that Paul didn't do what Jesus was calling for. But we have to look more closely at the specific words that he used. The word child in the Greek used here means infant, a simple-minded or immature person, unlearned, unenlightened. That's what Paul was putting behind him. God doesn't call us to be any of those things. This isn't the meaning of child that we're meant to emulate. The first real danger we find in Galatians 4 and 3, which tells us, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Simple-mindedness, immaturity, being unlearned in the things of God, and unenlightened by the Word of God, will lead to spiritual bondage, always. We know that we're not called to bondage. We know that we're meant to escape from it. We know that we're called to be free in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 to 15 gives us a secret of what we're called to do. It says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We're called to grow up. We're called to become mature in our faith. 
Galatians 4 and 1 tells us, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. Then verses 6 to 7 tell us, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God wants to elevate us. He doesn't want us to permanently stay in the same condition. We have to grow. But here we find the problem again, a few verses later in verse 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? When we want to be a child, that's what we're clinging to, the weak and beggarly elements. So what do those look like? Ephesians, after telling us of the importance of growing up, tells us in chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God for the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. This shows all the same elements that we saw that Paul put away. It's the simple-mindedness, the ignorance, the lack of knowledge and enlightenment in spiritual things. The fact that there are weak and beggarly elements of childhood, just by their existence, imply that there are elements that aren't weak and beggarly, that there are elements that are strong and considerable. Those are the ones that we're meant to cultivate and hold on to. That's what the Lord's command entails. There are a number of elements unique to childhood that are things that can greatly benefit us if we implement them in our walk with God, without infringing on the call to grow up and mature in faith. So what are some of those elements? Out of the many that stand out, the first one is dependence. Every child is completely dependent on their parents. Childhood, by definition, is a state of dependence, whereas adulthood is when we become independent and on our own. Independence may be good in the natural, it may be great for societies and nations, but it's terrible for our spiritual life. There's nothing that we should want less. That's how we become like what we saw in Ephesians, alienated from the life of God. We become alienated because we're separate. We want to be our own provider, our own source. We want to be our own savior. Whereas God promises to be all of these and more. And he promises to fulfill these longings of our heart in a greater way than we could ever imagine. Dependence isn't something that we should run from. It's something that we should run towards. We should draw nigh to God, lean on him, trust in his supernatural provision. Many children have the desire to be independent. And they think that they'll be better off that way, that they'll have more freedom. That's why most kids try running away from home at some point. Most don't get very far before they realize that they can't make it on their own. They need their home. They need their family because they need provision. They need sustenance. And most importantly, they need agape love. They need to depend. Their life depends on it. And the same is true of our relationship with God. If we don't depend, our walk with Him won't survive. We can't be continually alienated and still thrive and flourish. The same way that a plant can't be alienated from sunlight and still thrive and flourish. We need the Son of God in our life. We need to be attached to the vine and receive His life-giving provision. That's one way that we receive the kingdom of God as a little child. The next element of childhood that stands out is faith. We often hear about the importance of having childlike faith. But what is that exactly? What's the difference between childlike faith and just regular faith? One thing that we have to note, which we touched on last week, is that there's a very close relationship between faith and trust, and we use both of them together. And for a mature Christian, these serve to reinforce each other. But with children, we find something a little different. Trust, unlike faith, is based on experience gained over the course of time. 
Children, just by nature of their age, in many cases, haven't been exposed to experience in the same way, which means that their experience may not be sufficient to cultivate trust. And in the absence of trust, they have to go off of pure faith, faith alone. That's why you find children are likely to take you at your word, whereas adults wouldn't. Why is that? Adults do so because they don't know if they can trust your word, whereas a child takes your word on faith. This is important for us to apply in our walk of faith. We should have childlike faith, faith alone. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't trust. We definitely should. But if we have that type of faith within us and we're prepared to operate in it, even when we struggle to trust, even when trusting becomes a battle, we'll still be able to take God at His word, even if in the natural we don't feel like we can trust His word. Maybe the enemy is lying to us and telling us that there's not enough evidence to trust His word. Maybe we feel like God wronged us or didn't keep a promise, even though that's not true. That may cause us to feel like we can't trust. It's far easier for our trust to collapse than our faith, because our faith isn't based on experience. It's the work of God within us. It's His divine persuasion. Trust is nothing more than our own persuasion that's directed by our own experience, based on the evidence that we can discern and perceive. Our persuasion, our trust, will fail us from time to time. But when we have God's persuasion, and have that as our foundation, we can take God at His word, we can claim in faith His promises, and we can receive those promises in faith, which is another way that we receive the kingdom of God as a little child. The third thing that stands out in childhood is that certain type of innocence and purity that accompanies it. That's not to say that children don't sin. They sin just like every other human being. But where it usually differs is in the motivation and intention behind the sin. When most children sin, it's usually from a place of wanting to act on their own carnal selfish will other than on God's. But it's rare that a child acts out of a place of maliciousness. Their intent is often in their own interest, but it's rare that it's ever purposefully against someone else's interest. Malice is rooted in bitterness, which is rooted in anger. Children may get angry from time to time, but they don't often hold on to it like adults do. They're far better at letting go of it. They're far better at following Ephesians 4 and 26, which tells us, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. They don't let the sun go down upon their wrath because they don't have any bitterness to unnaturally prolong their anger. Everybody gets angry, and many times anger is right and even justified. But it's bitterness that blows anger out of proportion and makes it the motive behind the action. And it's unchecked and unresolved bitterness that leads to maliciousness being the inspiration of actions. Bitterness takes time to fester in a person's heart. It takes time to take root. And most children haven't had that time for that to happen. They haven't had the time for the bitterness to produce hate, which then causes people to act maliciously. Ephesians 4 and 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All means all. And the best way to do that is to be childlike in our intentions and in our motives. 1 Corinthians 14 and 20 tells us, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Children may operate out of love for themselves instead of love for God, but they hardly ever operate out of hate for others. And that should be our story too. Hate shouldn't be a part of our life. It shouldn't be a feeling that we harbor in our hearts. But love should. When we let go of anger like children do, instead of holding on to it, it opens us up to receive love instead, which is another way that we receive the kingdom of God as a little child. The fourth thing that stands out about childhood is the joy of it. One of the most common ways that that joy manifests itself is through laughter. Laughter is something that's unique to mankind. No other living creature has the ability to laugh. 
It's part of man's unique role being made in the likeness and image of God. We all start out as children with a love for laughter, but over time, we laugh less and less. One medical journal says that children, on average, laugh 300 times a day, while adults only laugh 17 times a day. That's a large discrepancy, and that's not something that we should just gloss over and just automatically attribute to human nature and the maturing of a child. Laughter is what's natural to man. The lack of laughter is the unnatural part. As we grow older, over the course of time, our laughter starts to fade away. This doesn't happen overnight. It's not even something that we realize is happening in the moment. It happens slowly and subtly. As the problems of life grow in intensity and become more severe and more trying, as we start to see the world for what it really is, we become disillusioned, disheartened, and disenchanted. And this opens the door for the enemy to attempt to steal our joy, which manifests in a noticeable absence of laughter. Miserable people don't laugh, neither do angry or bitter or contentious people. They don't laugh because they have no joy in their life to produce the laughter. Children don't have that problem because they don't let their joy get stolen. They hold on to it. We're meant to have the joy of children, the joy that gets excited at what others may think of as trivial or mundane, the joy that sees the good in the world, the joy that isn't afraid to laugh and enjoy life. We can't allow ourselves to let the enemy have his way and remove laughter from our life. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift that he freely offers to us. Our job is simply to receive it and to cherish it, which is another way that we receive the kingdom of God as a little child. The last element of childhood that we need to note, and in many ways the most important of them, is the element of curiosity. If you've ever spent time around a young child, you know that their favorite question is why. That's the manifestation of curiosity, which shows the propensity for the acquisition of knowledge, the desire to better understand life and the world around them. Childhood is defined by learning. It's that special period of life set apart for our preparation for adulthood. But many allow that desire for learning and that curiosity for knowledge fall by the wayside as they grow older. Although learning defines childhood, it's by no means exclusive to it. We're meant to learn for our entire lives, always growing deeper in our knowledge, always looking for understanding, and always seeking more wisdom. This is clear in Jesus' command itself. The word child used in Mark 10 and 15 in the Greek means a child in training. This is a lot different than the other word for child that we looked at earlier. And this is the same word used to refer to the Lord himself when he was a child. A child in training is a child that's learning, a child growing in knowledge, being taught and led in the way that he should go. That's why the Lord's given us his Holy Spirit. He trains us in the way we should go. He warns us through our conscience, speaks to us in our spirit, and gives us knowledge and revelation through his word. We can't allow ourselves to let our curiosity slip away. We have to stay curious. We have to want to know more about God. We have to have an unquenchable desire to go deeper with Him. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the mysteries that we find in the Word. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3. In 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in the fifth verse, it says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered, nor counted for multitude. 
Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life for thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Well, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there were none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall there arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. Verse 7 told us, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Here we find the same phrase again, a little child. This shows us what we have to do. This is part of being childlike. Solomon understood that he lacked the knowledge necessary for what he was being called to do, and he shows everything that we looked at so far. He was depending on God for help. He was taking his word to him on faith. He was asking because of his love for God and his people, and instead of running from such a calling, he received it with joy, and he was seeking after understanding and wisdom. He was childlike, but he wanted to grow. He wanted to be trained. He didn't want to stay in a perpetual state of childhood. He wanted to mature. And the same should be true of us. Like Paul, Solomon wanted to leave behind the weak and beggarly elements of childhood, the elements that only hold us back, and go on to the strong and considerable elements, the elements that only benefit us. Once we, like Solomon, ask the Lord for wisdom and understanding, what do we do next? 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 2-3 to say, As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The first phrase that sticks out is that you may grow thereby. That's the purpose we're given. That's the goal. And the means by which we achieve that goal is the sincere milk of the word and our desire for it. We get understanding and wisdom by the word of God. That's the only source. The word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. It's what illuminates the knowledge that we gain from our experience and the world around us. The more time we spend in the Word, the more effort that we put forth to learn from it, the more we grow, the more our faith matures, and the more strength we find that we have. Over time, though, we have to get off of the milk and move on to the meat. We have to go beyond the liquid and get to the solid. We have to get beyond the surface-level revelations and get to the deeper mysteries of God. So many Christians today get stuck on the milk, tasting that the Lord is good, but then never reaching out for the meat, which is of even greater taste and more filling. The milk is to get us ready for the meat. It's part of our training. It's to acclimate us to be able to receive the meat. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 to 14 tells us, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We're not called to remain unskillful. We're called to exercise our senses. We're called to use what God has given us and use his gifts to become the best version of ourselves that we can be. Like we saw earlier, 1 Corinthians 14 and 20 told us, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. We have to set our hearts to get understanding. Ephesians 4 and 13 tells us in the classic Amplified that it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, 
that we might arrive at really mature manhood, the completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ, and the completeness found in Him. That's our goal. That's what we should aspire towards. He offers us wisdom. He offers us understanding. They're fruits of the Spirit, just like love and joy are. They're gifts that He freely offers to us. Our job is simply to receive them in faith, which is yet another way that we receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank you that we're free to depend on you because of your supernatural provision. Lord, we thank you that we're free to operate in faith alone because you put your divine persuasion within us, that you've given us your will. And Lord, we thank you that we're free to operate in love and that we can rebuke and cast out anger and bitterness and malice and hate from our life. We thank you that we don't have to live that way, subjected to those carnal desires. Lord, today we thank you for the restoration of our joy and our laughter. We thank you that we're going to have a new type of joy, the joy like children have. And we thank you for the laughter that's going to manifest, the laughter that will be a sign of your presence in our life and will draw others to you. And Lord, today we make our desire known that we're seeking after knowledge, after understanding, and after wisdom. Lord, today we put that desire before you on the altar as a burnt offering, just like Solomon did. And we thank you that just like with Solomon, you're going to answer and grant our desire. Lord, we thank you that you don't have us stay in a perpetual state of childhood, that you don't leave us in a state of ignorance and immaturity, but that you granted us your Holy Spirit, that you put yourself within us to lead us and to guide us into all truth as we mature and grow in our faith. And Lord, we thank you that you hold our hand the entire way through and lead us where you would have us to go, according to your will. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to receive the kingdom as a little child and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.